29 AD, there was one about to change the world. Fully man, fully God, Jesus. Next to him was a friend who witnessed everything. He saw early miracles. He sat at his right hand. His own eyes saw Jesus transfigured. The very heart of Christ was poured out to him, and he was there at the cross on the day history was altered. These are the words and the story of John. Uh, there were uh, probably uh, some time ago I talked about a, uh, a early part of my career in the early 90s. Uh, it was the first plant I owned. It was a large building. It was about a 250,000 square foot building. And, uh, and we had a fire one night uh, at uh, 9 o'clock in the evening. Uh, phone rang. Police uh, fire department was on the phone, said, your building's got a fire. And uh, by the time I got there at 11, the building was fully engulfed. And uh, by uh, 1 in the morning, it was completely gone and a fireman had died in the, uh, in the process. And so it was a really, really traumatic experience for me. I was 30 years old, 29 years old. Uh, I had one, a one-year-old son, Taylor, and my wife was pregnant with Kyle. And so that was uh, a, uh, a really traumatic time for me. I was born again for a year at that point. I was newly, newly saved. And so uh, I was truly being tested by fire. Um, but the, 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 the side of this I want to focus on was the compassion side of this. I haven't talked about this at all. The next morning, uh, when the ATF landed with helicopters and dogs to find the dead firemen, some other guys came. And they were two guys that were customers of mine. And I'll never forget their names, Ray Parkin and Ken Narker. And they were from Archer Daniels Midland. And they were my largest customer at that time. And I didn't know that they were Christians then, um, but they showed up at the site the very next day. And I'm at the site, of course, I hadn't gone home and, uh, and I'm staring at this mess. I mean, it's a seven acre site, it's a complete devastation. There's fire department, there's probably 30, 40 fire trucks, there's firemen, FBI, ATF, people are everywhere. Um, and, um, and I had been accused of killing the firemen, setting the fire, all kinds of things. They were threatening to put me in jail. Uh, I had to hire a lawyer. It was really a traumatic time. Um, and these two guys found me, and uh, they came alongside of me, uh, older gentlemen, and uh, I had done a lot of work for them. It was my, I had just started doing this blending work of these protein powders for them. And millions of pounds in that building that they lost that day, um, which was millions of dollars. And these two guys came up and found me, and they sat with me, and they said, Bill, how are you? And I said, man, my life's ruined. It's absolutely ruined. I don't know why I got a pregnant wife, I got a son at home, and everything I have is gone. And these two guys just put their arms around me and said, no, it's not. That's not true. You're not done. You're not devastated. You will get back up and running, and you'll get back up running quick, and we're going to be there for you. We're going to be there for you. Don't worry about the losses. We've got insurance to cover our losses. But you get out, and you hustle, and you go find a place, and you go get some equipment, and we'll fill it up, and we'll fill it up more than we did before. And I was just like, what? What? And I honestly, I didn't think anybody would do that. I thought they would look at me as a loser and a failure and be like, I can't believe you ruined our stuff. And, that, you know, all of these things I thought they were going to think of me. They didn't think of that at all. They had a tremendous amount of faith in me. They believed in me. They loved the work I did. They thought I was doing a great job and they wanted me to continue to succeed. And they had Christ in their heart. And those guys that day showed me something I never forgot. It was words of comfort, but it was also actions. And I learned what compassion meant that day. 
And I've never forgotten that. Compassion's not words. It's words and action. And those men actually followed through with that. They lived up to that promise. In tonight's work, when we study uh, the, the Scripture, we see in 13 through 17 these chapters in John where Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's getting them ready. Their life's getting ready to change. It's going to be bad. And he says in 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Because he knew their lives were getting ready to get flipped upside down. And he knew he had to show them this love that he had for them. But I couldn't get past the idea of what Jesus was doing. Because of what those men did in my life, my mind was fixated not on these guys that were suffering, but what he was doing to deal with their suffering. I couldn't get my mind out of that this whole lesson. I'm like, well, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? What are you doing? And everything I read says he's comforting. And I'm like, that's not what he's doing. He's doing more than that. And he is doing more than that. He's showing them compassion. And it's not just words of comfort. It's words of comfort with action. And he tells them, here's who I am, and here's what I'm going to do. And you can count on this. And that's way different than just comfort. And that's what he's talking about tonight, you guys. That's what's going on in this text. When your life is going to blow up, and it's going to blow up, nobody escapes the blow up. Someone leaving abruptly from your life, either through death or divorce, losing your job, a serious conflict with somebody that you love, a painful disease enters your family, a massive natural disaster destroys something, that's going to happen to you. And you're going to feel afraid, you're going to be lost, you're going to be anxious, and at times you're going to feel hopeless. And sadly, I'm telling you guys, everybody has to go through something like this. And Jesus is saying, I know you will. I understand what you're going out through. But 13 through 17, when you come back and read these chapters, look at it through what see, and watch what I'm doing. Watch what I'm doing. Stop thinking about you, but look at what I'm doing. Me, Jesus. And I'm preparing you for this. And I'm showing you compassion. My prayer tonight is that you're going to experience Jesus in a different way. And you're not only going to find comfort from him, but you're going to have this desire, this new passion, maybe something more than you felt before, to have compassion for somebody who's hurting. That's what I'm praying for you guys tonight. So let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Jesus, for this time with these dear brothers. Lord, help us feel you, Jesus. Help us watch you. Help us pay attention to what you're doing. Because you said we would do things like you and greater things than you. So we got to watch what you're doing, Lord. Help us see you tonight. Help us be like you. Help us want to be like you, Lord. Father, help us. Lord, I pray, Jesus, pray I'd get out of the way and these guys hear your voice and your spirit and you move them to where you want them to go, Lord. Lord, give them your compassion to fuel them this week. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Four quick things. I want to describe compassion. I want to examine John 14 as an act of compassion. I want to look at our need for compassion. I want to finish with a call to be compassionate. What is often called the upper room discourse is John 7, or 13 through 17. That's what it's often called. This week, Jesus dies. We're stepping into that, you guys, this process. And 13 through 17 is the preparation for Jesus' death. It's called the upper room discourse. They're in a room, and Jesus is talking with his disciples. 
This time was God's loving compassion. He's pouring out through Jesus into his disciples to prepare them for one of the most emotionally traumatic times of their lives, bar none. The prophet Isaiah said this, shout for joy, you heavens, rejoice, you earth, burst into song, you mountains, for the Lord comforts his people and he will have compassion on his afflicted ones. This is what Jesus is doing, you guys. He's setting himself in a position to have compassion. John 14 reveals the identity of Jesus, his true identity, and his plans to take care of his followers. Jesus was moving from a heart of compassion for these men. But Jesus was also saying to us, across thousands of years, he was speaking into a microphone because he knew he was talking to you tonight. And he was saying, I'm going to take care of you too. I've got you too. Let's just take a few minutes and look at compassion for a moment. Compassion starts when we see the suffering of another person. We watch it with our eyes, and then we feel an intense emotion. We feel an emotional connection to that person's pain, and we feel a deep desire to help. If we stop at that moment, that's called empathy and sometimes called sympathy, and we listen and we stay and we do. And that oftentimes is all that person needs. But oftentimes it's more than what they, they need something more than that. And this is what it's called compassion. Compassion moves past the listening and the feeling to actions that truly reach out and help. Action is necessary for compassion to be real. Jesus moves to action. He doesn't just say, here's who I am and I see how you're feeling. He says, no, 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 this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to make happen. Compassion has action. For us and for Jesus, compassion costs you something, guys. It costs something. Jesus had to die for his compassion to get exercised. You may have to die. You may not. But cheap compassion isn't compassion at all. Compassion costs you something. You have to give up some time, almost always time. Sometimes you have to give up some money. Sometimes you've got to give up emotional fuel that you may not have. You've got to give up part of your heart. Cheap compassion isn't compassion. Compassion, though, changes everything. And this is the key here, you guys. This is what's so powerful about what Jesus is saying tonight. Compassion changes everything. People's lives get better when men show compassion. It's the change agent. It's the movement. It's the Holy Spirit that moves you to a place where you act and stuff changes. Compassion is that. People's lives get better. You get better when you are compassionate. You do. You are a better person. Your life gets better and you're better. You get changed when you're compassionate towards somebody else. You're a different man when you're compassionate. And the community gets better. The community gets a lot better, and you've seen it happen all around you. You can be at a Thanksgiving dinner and one of those moments where tension happens, and you instead move to be kind and be compassionate and care for something that's broken, and all of a sudden the whole room changes. You can be in a community, and you can watch it happen where somebody changes the paradigm and says, no, we're not going to be that. We're going to be this, and we're going to do the right thing, and we're going to care for these people, and it changes everything. It changes everything. One of our plants, we used to hire uh, um, people from work release. So these are guys who are in prison. So, and the sheriff would drive them over in a van, they'd unload, and they'd go to work on our lines, and then they'd go back. And 
we had a young man die in our plants. And the coroner came over, and as we were weeping, as we watched this young man get pulled out of the equipment, the coroner was hugging me, and she was whispering in my ear, and she said, don't you dare, don't you dare for a minute think what you did is wrong, because I've seen so many people's lives who aren't dead because of what you're doing in this plant. And she said, compassion changed our city. You were compassionate towards these prisoners, and it's making a difference that's what I'm talking about, you guys. Compassion changes everything. It does. Compassion is rooted in a person and their actions. It's rooted in a person and their actions. In John 14, Jesus reveals who he is and what actions he plans to take. Let's look at who he is first. First, Jesus says he is God. Here's his words. Trust in God and trust in me. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. He who has seen me has seen my Father. Jesus is clearly saying one thing. He is God. He is God. When Jesus expresses compassion, it has power because he is God. The person comforting you matters. When they have the capacity to do something to change what's going on in your life, it matters. Somebody that has no capacity or no desire or no willingness to act is not acting out of compassion. You don't believe a word they're saying. It has nothing for you. Brings you no comfort at all. You know what I'm talking about. Some people just talk when they try to comfort you, and they have no intent of doing anything to help you. That's not Jesus. When Jesus talks, he does. We had a young man in our group uh, last week who was having a really tough week. He was talking about it on a text. We were all trading. We were all going back and forth. And one of the guys said, hey, hey, do you need a pizza for your kids and your family? We'll just run some pizza over. And this thing went back and forth for about 20 minutes. And he's like, no, no, I got it finally. And a week later, he writes a long email and basically says, you know, the pizza would have been great if you just would have brought it. So think about that. The guy that started that had the compassion and the heart for the guy, and he knew he needed food. But instead of just going and getting the food and taking the food to the guy, we turned it into a conversation, and he got no food. Is that compassion? It's not at all. And Jesus isn't like that because he's God. Second, Jesus says he is the way to God. He is the way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The world says this. There are many roads that lead to God. Many. And Jesus says, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. I'm the only path. I am it. He himself. I. He says, me. I'm the path. I'm not going to show you a path. I'm not going to teach you a path. I'm the path. I am the path. That's a radical claim that forces you to decide. You have to decide. You can't straddle the fence. You can't say what the world says. I've been to Nepal. They have 33 million people and 33 million gods. Everybody's got a way. I had a Buddhist guy that used to work for me, and he said, hey, everybody's faith is good. I'll take bits and pieces and put it all together. Jesus said, that's malarkey. You can't straddle that fence. You cannot. There's only one way to God, and it's Jesus Christ, period. That's it. That's he's alone, Right? If you're all, this is the argument I always hear. But how about all those people from who had never heard his name in the past and who owned in the future and who were in the jungles and all that? Who, how about them? How are they going to be saved if they haven't heard his name? Stop worrying about that. You think if Jesus can resurrect himself from the dead, he can tell them who he is? I think he's got that. That's not for you to worry about. That's a cheap excuse. 
The question you need to ask yourself is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Are you truly saved? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior based on this truth, that he is it? There's no other way. Do you believe that? Have you told him, I don't believe, I haven't believed, I've totally violated my life, has been a violation against you, God. I've not believed this, but I do believe it now. And I want to follow you, then do it right now. Right now. Just pray out to him now and say, Lord, I want to follow you, and I believe those words. You are who you say you are. You are God, and I believe what I just heard. Jesus is God. He is the way, you guys. And you must believe in him. Tell him. Now let's look at what Jesus said he would do. We told him who he is. Now let's see what he says he's do. He said, I'm going to give you heaven. In my father's house are many rooms. I'm going to go and make a room for you in my father's house. If you've never been to Israel, go to Capernaum in Israel and go to Peter's house. This story will come alive. Because when you stand at Peter's house, all around you in Capernaum of all these stone walls, of all these homes full of little rooms. And you know what Jesus was saying? At that time, when a young man got married, before he married, he went to his father's house, and he built a room on for him and his wife. And when they got married, they went home, and he brought his wife to his father's house to live in the room that he built for his wife. That's what Jesus is talking about here. You know who his bride is? The church, us. That's what he's talking about. I went there. To be with you. I've built you a room in my father's house. You're my bride. And I'm taking you there to be there with me. And I'm going to come get you just as a, as a, as a, uh, a husband would go get married and take his wife. Jesus is like, that's what I'm going to do. That's what it's going to look like. That's what it's going to look like. He goes home to make a room for his bride. He comes back to take us. Jesus promised he would come back to take us wherever he lives. He says, I will come get you and take you to my father's house, and you will be with me in my father's house. And because I live, you also will live. You will not die. He's saying you're going to pass through a door from one life to another life. Gentlemen, if you just accepted Christ and if you have this time for a while and you've believed in Jesus, you're never going to taste death. It's not going to happen. You're going to move from life to life. Death is not part of your future, only life. Jesus said, I'm going to come get you, and you're going to move from this life to that life. And your body will die, but you won't, because I've prepared a place for you, and I'm coming to get you. I don't know about you, but this comforts me knowing this. Jesus will be there. Jesus will be there. But you got to know him. you got to know him. He will be there. you got to know him, and he will be there. I asked my wife, I said, Susie, do you, when you think about heaven, like what, what makes you, I don't know, what makes you, just feel like it's really good. And she said, honestly, no, my grandma's going to be there. And I said, well, why that? And she said, because Mimi knew Jesus so well that I know she's with Jesus. And if she's there, then I'll be there with her and Jesus. Because she knows Mimi. Do you know Jesus like she knows Mimi? Is that how you know Jesus? Are you comforted by knowing he's going to be there? And then he says, when you obey my teachings, my father and I will come live with you. He makes a bigger promise even now. That's talking about later. 
This is significant. So many people glossed over this. He says, if you obey my teachings, my father and I will come live with you. We're going to come live with you. We're going to be with you. Guys, that's a powerful thought. Right now, if you've accepted Christ, you've been taught that the Holy Spirit was deposited inside of you. And Jesus says, that's not just the Holy Spirit. That's the whole gang. The whole family's living there, man. You got all of us. We all moved in. We're with you. We're living with you now. We're with you now. It's not when you die, it's now. So when you cross into heaven, it's not going to feel weird. It's just like it is. We're with you now. That should bring you an immense amount of comfort. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then Jesus went on to say, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'll ask the Father and he will send you another comforter and calling himself a comforter to be with you forever. And that comforter is the spirit of truth and he's going to live inside of you. He's going to teach you truth and remind you of everything that I've said. And then Jesus promised, said, that is going to help you know the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's how you get the truth. You're always going to have the truth living inside of you, guys. You just have to let the Holy Spirit rise up and tell you the truth. That's why Bible study is so stinking important. you got to hear God's word so you know the truth, and the Holy Spirit will help you know the truth. Read God's word. Let that Holy Spirit do his work, right? And then Jesus said, I'm going to give you peace, but not like the world gives you peace. You know what the world needs for peace? To have their suffering removed. They want comfort. And Jesus said, I'm going to give you peace that's very different than that because you're going to suffer your whole life. You're in the devil's play yard. yard. You're going to suffer your whole life here. I'm going to give you a different kind of peace. I'm going to give you peace that passes all understanding, and it guards your hearts and minds. And so you can sit inside of suffering and pain and trauma and bad, no problem, at peace. That's the kind of peace I'm going to give you. The world wants all that stuff to stop and end, and they do everything in their power to make sure they don't have any of that happening. Life is good. It's fun. It's full of love and comfort. That's what they chase. They'll never find peace. That's a life without peace, and you can count it. The peace I'm going to give you is going to come when you're in the middle of your suffering. You're going to say, I'm at peace. I'm at peace. That's what Jesus promises. And then he promises his power. He says, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and will do even greater things. We're made in God's image, able to be compassionate. This is what's cool to me. When you pray in my my name, I will answer every prayer. When we are doing his work, that he calls us to do, we're going to experience his power and we're going to be able to call on his name and do his work because we're aligned with God. We're in direct line with his will. We're connected to him. He's inside of us. He's speaking to us. We're moving to his rhythm. And when we say, God, I need this, he knows, I already know, I got it. Boom, answered prayer. It's going to happen. It's going to happen over and over and over again. This is what he's talking about. Not your selfish desires, Those are contrary to his plans. Those are just your selfish desires. He's like, I'm not, those plans I'm not going to fulfill. Guys, you have power beyond power sitting inside of you. You don't even realize. You look at TV and you look at Xi Jinping and Joe Biden, these world leaders. You know, you look at uh, Elon Musk and you're thinking the power these guys have. You have thousands times more power than those men do beyond anything they can comprehend because they don't know Jesus at all. And he's living in you. You've got that kind of power living inside of you. You have direct access to God. He lives in your heart. You can speak to him. His spirit's giving you truth. He gives you peace. He can pass all this through with these fires without any problem because he's living inside of you. They do not have that inside of them. And you'll never be separated from God. The farthest you are from God is right now. 
You'll never be separated from him. So what else could he give you? And what else could you ask for? Let's switch gears for just a minute and talk about comfort. It's hard to read John 14 and feel your fear go away. I know it is. Because I read John 14, I'm like, my fear didn't go away. I still feel afraid. God, I'm still not feeling comfort. Most of us need more help than just reading the Bible, don't we, you guys? And unfortunately, a lot of times at the church, it's awful what we say to guys, hey, you just need to read the Bible and pray, man, you'll be fine. It's like, that's not working. It's just not working. And here's why. Jesus sent his people to be his compassion and comfort to the world. He sent us to do that work. Here are some steps to help you find comfort. Pray first and ask Jesus for help. And then second, get around men like this who can help meet your needs. Because the men in this room can and they will help meet your needs. Express your real needs. What really doesn't work is when you hide and you make up stories about yourself and tell us things that aren't really true about you because we can't re meet your real needs and the fake you shows up and we have no idea how to take care of the fake you. So we help the fake you and the real guy's still sitting there with his needs unmet. The real you has to show up so that we can address the real needs of the real you. Open yourself up, express your real needs and then accept the help. Accept the help. This is probably the hardest thing for most men. I need help. Well, I'm going to help you. Ah, I don't want, no, don't do that. Ah, I don't want your help. And we walk away from the help. But once you get help, your life's going to get better. And after you get help, thank God for what you've got. Thank him. Don't forget to thank him. Go back and read John 14 again, right after you've had a moment like that, and ask God to give you a comfort from that text. And connect the dots between John 14 and the comfort you felt from another man. And then try to go out then the next day and show compassion to somebody else. Open your eyes to be compassionate to another brother. How do you do that? Follow God's lead. Jesus modeled it. He said, do what I do and you'll do even greater things. Recognize we're made in his image. We're capable of that, you guys. We can do exactly that and more. We've got an incredible capacity for compassion. You must move out of your place of comfort to do it, though. This is the hardest thing for most men. You've found a comfortable place. You have. You've worked your way into a spot where you're not getting pressure from anywhere, and you're really comfortable there. And I don't just mean in your chair at home or whatever. I mean literally your emotional space is comfortable. You have to move out of that space. And you need to ask God to help you see needs. Open my eyes so I can see the needs at my workplace, in the schools where my kids are, in the hospitals where I go visit, in the lower income neighborhoods I drive through and never stop at, or even harder in other countries. You need to look for people or just somebody who's hurting. Just look, just look. There's, there's a guy in here right now, Mamu's right here. There's Mamu, you guys. Mamu's been in the hospital all week, heart issues, vows, he's been just a mess. And he's sitting there. You know why he's sitting there? See big George next to him? You know who's had George, got him to the hospital all week? George. George. You know who's been sending me texts all week? George. You know who's been watching over Mamu all week? George. George. Why? Because George opened his eyes and said, this brother has a need and I can help him. And he had compassion on him. You have to open your eyes and look and see who's got a need. And so when you see that, You'll know. Look for the need. Look for the need. You got to go look for that need. Try to make a human connection with the person when you see the need. What do I mean by a human connection? When somebody's got a need, there's a human connection that's needed. 
And it's not just, hey, buddy, how you doing? Not good. Okay, man, all right, that's too bad. Oh, sorry, man, sorry, bro, that's tough. Okay, bro, yeah, yeah, bro, man, yeah, dude, bro, yeah, cool, bro. That, that's not a connection. Like, that's not it. But we do that, don't we? We bumble and stumble, and we're like, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I'm not sure what the heck's going on. A human connection is, can we get a cup of coffee? I, I want to I talk about what's going on. And that person sits down, and then you listen, and then you put your hand on your seat. Can I put my hand on your hand and pray for you? Can I hug you? Can I, can I just tell you how much I'm, I'm, I'm hurting with you? That's a human connection. That's what it looks like. Make a human connection with the person. And then try to meet the emotional need that you're looking at. There's going to be an emotional need. They're angry. They're afraid. They're discouraged. They're lost. They're hopeless. Try to understand the emotional need and meet the emotional need. And oftentimes that's simply by saying, I really see a lot of good in you. It's encouraging words. I think you're a good man. I think you've been a good father. I think you're a good husband. Encouragement often is what's needed. Try to help the emotional need and then figure out what the physical need is. And what's going to happen in most of these cases is you won't be able to figure out how to help them emotionally and you won't be able to figure out how to help them physically. Get help. Don't stop. Don't stop. And this is where most of us quit. I don't know what he needs. Forget this. This is ridiculous. Just move on. Somebody else will figure it out. I don't know what to do. I'm out of here. And you jet because you're lost. Don't do that. This is where Jesus doesn't stop. Compassion doesn't stop. Call somebody. Hey, I got this friend. He's going through this. What do I do? What do I say? I don't know what emotion. I don't know how to do that. I don't do emotion words. I'm an emotionless guy, right? Yeah. Franco, right? Franco told me that. We were out golfing. He's like, my kids use all these emotional words with their kids. I'm like, just slap them and tell them to shut up and sit down or something. Right, right, Frank? You know, just make those kids behave. Whatever, right? No, that's not Frank. Frank would never do that. Get help. Get help. Ask for help. And then when you get to the physical need part, it's going to be bigger than you can handle, right? It's going to be bigger than you can handle. It's going to be hard. You're not going to have the money. You're not going to have the time. You're not going to have a car. You need help. Ask for help. Go get some other guys to come around and help. But bring help to the, to the problem. Bring a solution to the problem. That's what compassion does. Don't walk away from the problem. Don't do that. And then when you've helped the emotional need and the physical need, Share how Jesus has helped you, the broken you, not the cool you, not the fixed you, but how you have been broken in some way that he has helped you and tell that story because that guy needs to connect the dots between your compassion and Jesus Christ because God is the source of all compassion, not you. God is. Jesus Christ is the source of compassion, and we are his ambassadors of compassion. 2 Corinthians 13, 4 says, Praise be to the Lord God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, who comforts all in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. We have to give those people over to God. We have to point them to Jesus Christ. We have to say, he is why I did that. He is who you need. He is the source of your comfort. You need to go to him. You need to read his word. You need to pray. You read around godly men. This is what you've got to do. If you don't do that, you're going to put yourself in a very dangerous place because when you start helping people, your pride is going to shoot through the roof and your ego is going to start to rise and you're going to start to think it's you. Moses did that. He said these words, must we? Must we? And he was telling, his, asking his people, is he and God the ones that need to provide water for him? And God said, there ain't no mouse in my pocket, bro. 
I can make water show up without you, Moses. Don't you dare touch my glory. You'll never enter Israel. And Moses never entered Israel because he stole God's glory. And that's what you do. That's what you see people do that look compassionate and they build all these great things. And their only thing they're doing is pointing to themselves. And that is not what Christian men do. We point them to Jesus who heals, not us. The compassion of Christians, you guys, has transformed the world immensely. Immensely. William Booth, the Salvation Army, was started to care for the needy in London. One man, William Booth, one man. Robert Pierce started World Vision, one man caring for children in Portland, Oregon. Jean Jugan, a French nun, started Sisters of the Poor to care for the poor elderly. Millard and Linda Fuller started Build Homes Globally and created Habitat for Humanity. Chuck Colson, sitting in prison, started Prison Fellowship, reaches prisoners globally all over the world. Bill Bright started in, at a college campus in UCLA, Campus Crusade for Christ. What was the common denominator of every one of them? They had compassion for somebody who was needy. They looked at the people in those situations and they said, they need God just like Jesus did when he saw those men. And he's looking in their eyes and going, your world's getting ready to get trashed. Jesus was overcome with compassion and said, here's what I'm going to do for you. And now Jesus is looking at us and going, what will you do for the others? How will you have compassion? In Forbes magazine, Rasmus Hilgard in the July 2020 issued, issued an article and it concluded, it was all about compassionate leadership. It was very secular. And he was saying, compassionate leaders gives you, gives you a new edge in the marketplace. So it was very worldly. But listen to his words. In a world full of unrest and divisiveness, learning, choosing, and actively practicing compassion is a way forward. An active declaration of what you stand for and a visible testament to the world you want to live in. Dear brothers, when we show compassion, we make a declaration to the world about Jesus Christ, and we give a visible testament to the world that we want to live in, that this is his garden, and this is his sanctuary, and our compassion is meant to transform it for his glory. That's what we say to people. Let me close by wrapping the bow around the fire that happened at our plant. After those men said, we're going to take care of you, it inspired me. I was so motivated. I went and found a building three weeks later. I called another customer who gave me $30,000 worth of equipment until I could pay him back. I got up and running. My sales that year increased 3% over the previous year. We exceeded everything we thought possible. I went on to build three more plants. We had 400 plant employees working in all those plants 24 hours a day. We brought spiritual compassion to those plants through those criminals and those people that we brought into those plants every single day. Christ was preached. Men were saved. Guys were baptized. People were married in those plants. We brought Jesus to those plants because those two men said, don't give up. They showed compassion to me. That was powerful, the least of which they took care of was me. And because they made that decision, compassion drove a lot to change, guys. The compassion that you have inside of you will change the world. It's powerful. You just have to choose that I'm going to have that in me today. Who can you show compassion to this week? Who? Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. Lord, we ask that you give us that compassionate heart to love and transform the lives of the people around us. Lord, help us love people the way you do, Jesus. Help us move to action, not just words, Lord. 
Make us different men this week, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. 